we're back! We're back! We're all the way back! I'm Drew! That's Roth's distraction! How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. I'm good. This is two suntanned guys just chopping it up on the podcast. You Post will. vacation vibes. Absolutely no one will believe this because I... Also, I don't really have much of a suntan. I don't... I kind of, like, sear. It's like the way that you might cook a piece of fish. I... And you, you may dispute this because you're looking at me at Zoom right now. I am tan. I think I might be no, you are. as tan as I've ever been because what apparently what happens is if you slather yourself in mineral sunscreen every hour, but you're still out in the sun uh, riding your bike uh, at a good clip, like a couple hours a day, then you will actually get something resembling like the tan a young person normally can only get. So, so I'm going to be honest with you. That's never been my experience. But <laughs> it does seem like it has, uh, it has worked out for you, and that's good. That's what I want. But yeah, you had a, you had a nice long hitch, too. You were kind of out of pocket for a, a, like a couple weeks. Yeah, I was at, I was at a beach house for, for two weeks, which was awesome. Just a bitching good time. I, yeah. I worked... All those weeks, because I had to do Why Your Team Sucks. In fact, I fucked up royally. I think I told you this, where every year I calibrate when I'm supposed to, like I count, I go over to the calendar like a, like a kindergartner, and I count the days that I, I count back from the first day of the season to when I need to start Why Your Team Sucks. And so I did again this year, and, I, and Barry Pacheski always makes fun of me because I always fuck up the date. And I always get it wrong. Last year, I finally got it right. And I was, ah, eat shit, Barry. Take that, you motherfucker. This year, I was off uh, not just by like a day. I was off by an entire week. I started an entire week late. So oh, wow. I'm, I'm now doing two-a-days. I have to do two of these fucking things a day. That's, see, you had mentioned as much that you were like kind of in the weeds a little bit with it. And I, I just sort of dismissed it because I've never known you to be behind on stuff like that. Like, it seems to me from the outside that you work very fast and that it's, like, something that you could do in your sleep. And yet, a whole week, like, doing two of these a day, like, it's one thing to have to think about the chargers for five hours a day, even once. But if you do that and then you got to pivot immediately to, like, whatever, uh, the Rams, that's not what you want either. It's true, but, you know, I, I was... There's no... I can't complain because my job is to make cheap jokes about Deshaun Watson, right? And, and I got to do that... Well, at a, a fucking baller beach house for two weeks, and I just did it in the morning while my kids were fucking about on screens. By the time noon came around, I could do whatever I want for the rest of the day. So I, you know, I got nothing to complain about. Yeah, like, I actually wrote something from my little less baller vacation with my family at the Jersey Shore. It's the same sort of thing. I, I don't know what it means that, like, as I've gotten older, I've started to kind of like working on vacation, but in a very discreet way. Like, I don't want to be tethered to my computer all day long the way that I am here at home. Right, yeah. But a little bit of not being at leisure makes the leisure more fun for me. Like yeah, it feels, some... more, it feels more earned. Right. And so for me, it was like doing that experience of kind of like finishing a thing. I'd, I'd started writing on the Friday before vacation. I got it done really late. I realized as I was reading over it that like I actually, not only did I not think it was ready, like I hated it. <laughs> like that night I was reading through it and I was like, my God, I'm glad this isn't up. And, a writer you know, hating it. their own work? Mm. Yeah, it's not a not a new one for me, honestly. Like, because I think uh, that, that my writing is pretty tight. But in this case, it was, um, it was just kind of me being upset. But I finished it, you know, like, sitting in a weird position in our bedroom, which was, like, already covered in sand, like everything else in the beach house. And, it like, it felt good. Like, it felt good in a way that, like, writing from home sort of doesn't. Like, I was, like, I think my brain was a little clearer. I was able to sort of focus on it. Um, and then, like, I got it done, decided it was okay, and, like, went upstairs and finished my Dairy Queen. That was, like, uh, pretty ooh, much pretty ooh. much the ideal experience. Whoa, I didn't, I didn't know Dairy Queen would come in there. Now I fucking want Dairy Queen. Holy shit. Yeah, this the, was, the uh, that's, like, the... the we're, my dad is like in this period of, like he basically has diabetes, but is trying to negotiate with it, yeah. which is not <laughs> only a medically recommended procedure. And so there's a lot of, like the whole idea of getting Dairy Queen was like a a very tense trope that ran through the entire vacation, where he like kind of kept trying to sneak it in, the way that like a a dog might beg for a treat. <laughs> Just kind of a weird energy there, like having to take your your dad, who's like going to turn eighty in a few months, and be like, "We get Dairy Queen after we ha if we finish our lunch, so we have to finish our lunch." 
My dad turns 80 next month. So we hey, both mazel we, tov. we both have 79-year-old dads. And my dad, um, my dad kicked drinking. So the 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 timeline is I got hurt. I stopped drinking because I I I think I I somewhat blame drinking for getting hurt. My mom stopped drinking after I got hurt, partially because um, she got like the flu really bad and just didn't want to drink anymore after that. And also in solidarity with me. And then also my dad stopped drinking after she stopped drinking because he found that it was like affecting his cognitive abilities. So he doesn't drink anymore, but he has replaced that with eating a shitload of ice cream. He like, nice. like I remember I was like, I was at the, like, cause normally he didn't like dessert. Like he would always like our running gag in the family was we always go like a bad dessert. We complain, we go, we fake complain. We go, it's too sweet because he would say that like a bad dessert. And we'd always be like, it's a dessert. Dad, like that's the idea. Right. It's supposed to be so, like you so, were expecting a pork chop. I yeah, yeah. Th- this needed that. more balsamic vinegar. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so then, uh, so then he's he's eating ice cream like the like last year, and I'm like, oh wow, he wants ice cream, and I give him a scoop, and he's like, more, and I'm like, I put another scoop, in, and he's like, more, and I put another scoop, and he's like, more. <laughs> I'm like, motherfucker, why don't you just take the pint pint and just eat it out of that? Because this is a lot of labor on my part that I don't really need to be doing. Because I'm going. He was going scoop. Dan Campbell mood. He's up to three pints of gelato a day. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm proud of the guy. I love it. I think it's, I think it's that's good. That's also nice that you guys were as a family on vacation, and there's just nothing but cran apple juice in the house. Oh yeah, nobody's yeah. on the hard stuff. Well, actually, my well, it's not true because my brother still drinks. He doesn't drink as much as he used to, and my brother-in-law drinks. And my sister, my my wife drinks like my wife is the kind of person who can drink one beer. In, in a sitting and be satisfied behavior. with that, and I'm like, I'm like, how do you do it? What is I've your never secret? understood it. It's I was talking to some friends about this about how that's like the classic the wife's ale, like just one like <laughs> twelve ounce can of beer and be like perfect. Yeah, wow. Like, I I don't, whatever gland it is in your brain that fires when you're done, where it's like you're done drinking beer now. Like I either had mine removed in my youth or that it's just, it's never worked, but I respect it. And my wife has two beers. She's shit faced. It's like, she's 15. It's fantastic. Yep. Like, wow. Wow. What a, what would I pay to have such, such cheap tolerance if I had, yeah, if incredible I money. Like if that were the, like I would have saved thousands of dollars. Yeah. I'm already saving thousands of dollars. Cause I, I don't drink anymore. I bought myself a fucking Justin Jefferson Jersey this morning. Cause I was like, <laughs> what else am I going to do with that? It? So I guess that, is a, a mature choice on your part. If you're going to like, cause the, so the Vikings, why your team sucks, you know, every year is kind of a, a circled day on the calendar for me. In this case, like it had not like a, a real, like sort of fatalism about it, like that distinguished it from the other ones. Like, you know, you're a professional, like everybody knows you care about the Vikings, but you don't care that much more about them than you do about the other teams. That oh, you'd, you'd be wrong on that one. Okay. You're, cause you're I feel like it was wrong. like, there was an element there where I was like, he's really fucking over these guys a little bit. <laughs> like, in a way that, like, you know, professional though the expression was, it was like, there's not even, like, funny things to say about Kirk Cousins anymore. Like, he is that just is miserable. You can't, you can't say anything all that novel or interesting about Kirk anymore. You, you just can't. And, in fact, the, the only sort of refreshing thing you can do with Kirk is to go the other way and be like, hey, you know what? He's going to be playing in a, in a good offense. He's got a coach. Like he has the first coach in his career who doesn't fucking hate his guts. Maybe yeah. he'll maybe he'll yeah. do all right. He's got Justin Jefferson. I was like, I was, I I was writing these previews. Now it's like you know I'm gonna treat myself to a jersey to get like psyched for the season because I really I'm fucking psyched for the NFL season. And I was like, okay, well if I get a Jefferson jersey, well that's a little obvious, isn't it? So I always wanted to do like. You know, like oh, like like you always want to be like like you want to have good tastes in yeah, players. Everybody's like, like, ooh, that's, that's an exquisite Kyle Rudolph. Where yeah, did you get yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were just like, like, oh my god, he went for the deep cut and he got a Todd Stussy jersey. What a man, you know. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? No, like Justin Jefferson fucking rules. He's and cool. Like, yeah, you should treat yourself to like. He's also the only. We don't know, but like of all the good players on that team, he's the only one who might be vaccinated. Oh yeah, and him and him and Patrick Peterson are, are okay. So there you go. Like, so treat yourself to that. Yeah, I have a Harrison Smith jersey. He is totally not vaccinated. Oh yeah, he's like the guy that you were, you wrote about this. That like basically like he and like Thielen and I guess maybe Cousins have like enough 
like suction in the clubhouse that rookies like didn't want to get vaccinated because like Harrison Smith would make fun of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like peer pressure. There was reverse peer pressure to be like, "Well, you get vaccinated like a fucking pussy." Like, that. like unbelievable. Like, yeah, what players. a great organization. This is see. This is back to the point about Cousins though. That like all of the things he does are like he's. I think like. On the merits, like if you're just scouting the stats, he is a tick funnier than most of your other pud quarterbacks because he's so weird. And so every year he'll like do one thing. This year, I think you mentioned it in there, where he like, instead of getting vaccinated, he was like, I'm just going to build like a plexiglass phone booth around my around my locker. That was a year ago, ha- but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then, you know, he's also like put out some of the most accursed barbecue picks imaginable. <laughs> like just like ways of cooking beef that he invented seemingly out of whole cloth. We're just like pulling a steak out of a pot of boiling water being like, Mmm, love yeah. to get together with my family and enjoy some boiled roast. Yeah. All of his food photos have a lot of Scott Walker. And yet somehow it doesn't hit like he does it. And you're just kind of like, Oh man, get it together. Like well, it's not what I found interesting. And I'm funnier. not going to, we've already gone too long in the Vikings, but I, I did want to note that like, this is sort of a wording thing that the Tom and I tr- struggled with in the, in that preview where um, Kirk's metrics are fantastic. Like yeah. even like, and by the numbers, he's like better last year than he ever was. Right, like, and it's not it's not just like it's not the casual stats like yardage and TDDI and T ratio. Like it's it's these are real stats that like that you know sabermetricians and like people that I respect like think usually are the hallmark of a winning quarterback, and yet Kirk never wins. <laughs> fuck all. Right. And so I remember I was saying this to like Aaron Schatz because they because. Um, his uh, his football outsiders almanac is very high on the Vikings this year, against the staff's like des- like instincts and desire. Right. Like Aaron was telling me, like, listen, our all of our all of our models are really high on the Vikings, and like we hate it. <laughs> and I just want to be clear with you, I disagree with the right. our advanced statistical models are clearly fucked. Yeah, he broke the goddamn way. model by sucking <laughs> as hard as he as he does. But I want to talk about uh, something that doesn't suck. In just okay. a moment. The other thing was that I just want to go back to like working on vacation because obviously people who go on vacation, if you go on vacation, you should not feel obligated to work. But also, I am edging toward the part of my life where um, my daughter is like my daughter is going to take her driver's uh, her driving test to get her license a week from now. She is entering her junior year of high school. She's getting like she's getting that direct mail from colleges for, like. Antioch yeah. and shit like Hell that. Yeah. Like just absolute bullshit colleges. Like and like once every like 20 mailers, you get an actual college. Like, oh my God, UMBC. Fuck yeah. Like a real school. Like <laughs> and like like you get excited about that. But then I was like, oh shit, she's gonna be gone soon. And I'm already at the the stage in my life where if there aren't any kids in the house and I'm by myself, I don't know what the fuck to do with myself. And all I've known for the past like two decades is work. Like it's the only thing. I know I do, and my work is very fun. My work is more fun than most people. But it's, like, so when you go on vacation, like, there is part of me, like, I can't just sit around in the morning and fuck about. Also, because I can't, like, like, there was no TV around for me to watch, like, an ultra-violent, violent, like, hardcore nudity movie. Like, yeah. like I, the way I would really <laughs> At 6 a.m., do. as as Drew yeah. does. Yeah, I really want I really want to do that, but I can't watch it on like my fucking phone. That sucks. I don't want to do that. Pre-dawn Michael Mann ritual was disrupted. So I have no imagination outside of outside of working. That actually is changing now that I, I bought a bike a week ago and I think that all the time that I used to spend trying to figure out what to do with myself, I'm going to spend mounted on my iron steed going to like a bakery so that I can buy a croissant and waste <laughs> and just Absolutely consume all the calories I just burned. That's what that Bon Jovi song is about. That's like right. Going to, get, going to buy one almond croissant and then riding home with it. Uh, Wanted. Uh, the Mets. I want to talk to you about the Whoa, Mets. Okay. And, like, this is actually, like, I don't, I don't really think Vikings homerism is all that uh, germane to any of the listeners right now. But shockingly, your Mets fandom is because the Mets <laughs> yeah. are, like, the feel-good story of the, of the Major League Baseball season right now. So much so that my mom texted me about them. And when my mom Incredible. notices, that means it's like a thing. That means it's like, it's it's nationwide. So my question to you, Roth, is does this team deserve to be a sensation? Do you feel good about them? Are they good? Are they real? 
Yeah, uh, so they're they're real good. Um, I finally got it together to write that take and put it on the website. This is one of those things. I mean, I wrote about Jacob Degrom too. I'm getting, I'm conquering all my fears. Look at like, you. Like there were definitely. I started a Degrom post last year, and was just sort of like watching weird videos that Justin Halpern sent me about like people breaking down his pitch technique and how he improves from one off season to the next. And then he got hurt. And I didn't entirely blame myself for that because it's like he's a real skinny guy and he throws the ball 101 miles an hour. And like sooner or later, your body starts to react to uh, being put under that kind of strain, even as a professional athlete. That said, I still blame myself. And I was like, I'm not writing about fucking Jacob deGrom. I'm not writing about the Mets. I'm a mush. Like, leave it. Write about something else. Right. And that's dumb, obviously. I don't need to. (laughs) I think our listeners are ahead of me on that one. But. For me, like, at this point, like, I've watched them all year. Like, there's nothing I'm going to do to jinx them. Like, they'll be whatever they'll be, but, like, they're good. They're in every game. Like, they just lost two games to the Yankees, and they look pretty wiped out. They hadn't had an off day in more than a week, uh, and they played some doubleheaders and stuff. They're, you know, they're not quite on the same pace that they were, and the Braves have been winning, like, 70% of their games for the last two months. So, like, that is... They're defending champions, though. They are. And that's... So that's the thing, is I've had this question posed to me on the... I talked about it on the radio on Tuesday, that, like, the... You know, are they much better than the Braves? And I don't think that the answer to that is necessarily yes. I do think they're better. But also, as you said, the Braves are really good. They're the fucking defending champions. Yeah. So if I can not be okay with a team that was like miserable last year like bad but also awful sour unlikable yes that like if i can't enjoy the fact that they have improved this much unless they're better than every other team then i'm doing being a fan wrong are they are they consistent are they the sort of team where if they lose your you it's not disgraceful it's like okay well look they they did a lot of things right but you know the other team was just better that day yeah, that's a really good uh, metric for me in this. I mean, it's all vibes-based, and all my understanding of, of sports is, but yes, they are. Like, I think that this is the thing. Against the Yankees, they looked tired, um, but they're in every game. Like, when they lose, like, sometimes they get blown out. Like, it happens every now and then. But for the most part, like, they don't roll over in the way that, I you know, I remember them doing in the past. I think they always... Not just, like, think they can win and all that other sort of, like, cliched shit. Like, the way that they play, in a weird way, because there's they do hit homers and stuff, it kind of reminds me of the Royals team that beat them in the 2015 World Series, which is a team that, you know, I think about a lot. I covered that series for Vice, and it was a big, you know, deal for me. I never really thought the Mets would make the World Series ever again. Um, but that Royals team was, you know, they were good. They were the champions. Yeah. They never... Finished above 500 again because yeah. of the Royals, but that's the, the special extra bonus. There are so but, many, there's so many MLB teams that they win one title and they're like, okay, we're good. And they right, just do all set. Nothing. So the Marlins do that where it's like as soon as like the champagne isn't even flat yet. And the owner's on the phone being like, what can I do to get you into a Charles Johnson today? Yeah. yeah but the, in this the, case, the Cubs the, are like, oh, we can just go another century without winning it. We're good. Now. Right. Like, these guys will all remember, yeah, right? That's their yeah. fans. They're normal. But the way that Royals team played, they, it was not, you know, an optimized experience. It wasn't especially efficient. They just didn't make any mistakes. They fielded everything. Every at-bat was, like, nine pitches and had a lot of foul balls. And, like, maybe you wind up walking a guy. Maybe he hits a single. Maybe the next guy hits a single. It's a very strange type of good team to be. And I think the Mets are—and this has been, like, the knock on them. It's the thing that Braves fans say about it, that they're lucky. And— they, I mean, they are, all good teams are, but also they are built in a very interesting way. Like, I think not in a sort of like bloops and blasts sort of thing. Everybody in the lineup, for the most part, takes really good at-bats, is really annoying to face, and they wear teams down. They don't make mistakes in the field anymore like they used to, which is an incredible difference from previous Mets teams. And they're fucking annoying. And I have to say that, like, as somebody who has been annoyed by them for, like, my entire life, this is exactly what I have wanted them to be, I think, without knowing it. Like, it would be cool to have the team be, like, all stars and dingers and strikeouts and shit. But, like, being pesky and making Phillies fans upset, like, I'll take that, man. That's great. Downright uh, Eckstein-ian, these mess. Yeah, it is. Uh, You know, maybe a little... 
less on the on the pine tar on the helmet uh, vibe there. But yes, let's uh, let's take a break and come back and talk about more of uh, more of the shit we missed while we were uh, while we were apart. We'll be right back. We're back, and it's just me and Roth. We were apart for three weeks. While we were apart, Roth, um, Fernando Tatis of the Padres, he got suspended, and then the Padres owner used the dreaded word maturity in his comments in the wake of Tatis's suspension. Rado, our own Ray Rado, a defector, he knows the friction between those two parties. He believes that the friction has only just begun. But do you agree? Is there, uh, is there a chance that his relationship with the Padres is irreparably harmed, even though he like just signed a fucking monster deal. Yeah, I don't think irreparably, but there's something that isn't cooking right with that team and I don't know what it is. Uh they've got so many good players and you know, as with any team that's like super top heavy with stars, like I'm sure that there's some big egos. Like nobody's ever accused Manny Machado of being like a chill guy who's easy to be around. <laughs> yeah, he's you a know? prick. Yeah. Right. But and I imagine that Tatis is the same way and I don't no one's ever said anything bad about Juan Soto, but like, you know, he's 23, so Anyone who's been 23 knows oh, I've, how difficult 23-year-olds are. I've heard Juan Soto get get slandered by like old old white people. I don't like how he stands. I don't like his stands in the in the batter's box. That was so like much. Then that was so good when the Cardinals were trading for him, and like all the the best fans in baseball were like, "I would no way would I give up Dylan Carlson for him." For one thing, <laughs> like he looks like he wears tight pants, and that's not how we do it in St. Louis. That's right. It's like fucking amazing Cardinals shit with the Padres. I think. There's still this challenge of knitting a team together out of, in the same way, I think the Mariners seem like they're finally sort of succeeding at it. But A.J. Preller, that's the GM of the Padres, like churns that roster so much that, I, you know, I don't know if this was sentimental of me or if it is realistic in any way, really, because it's, you know, if you think of the clubhouse as a workplace like any other, which it isn't, but it is a workplace, if people are constantly being like hired and fired and coming and going, I feel like it can be difficult for a sort of a team concept to develop in a healthy way. Yeah, it gets cynical. Right. And I think because you are aware of, you know, what happens to be a factual aspect of your employment, which is that it is not just at will, but that like you could go at any time, you know, and that's not the case with Tatis and Machado and Soto. And so I imagine you know, that they will sort that out. The Tatis suspension is, it's bad though, like to me, because that's, he got busted for like a Jurassic steroid. Like it's not one of those things where like, I'm sure that there's plenty of guys on very high-end gear in Major League Baseball. Like there always have been people seeking advantages in that way. Yeah, of course. But he was taking like the Jose Canseco formula. Like it's like you have to get with the times and that. Like they do know how to test for that. You will get caught. Maybe uh, maybe they don't make them like they used to. Maybe the old school steroids have a little extra punch to them that the clear yeah. and the clear don't. You don't know. So it's like uh, the way that kids get into thrift shopping every generation. My daughter you know, is huh? so nuts for thrift shopping. Oh my yeah. god! It's like I like new clothes. Love that she's like as a thing for. So I was actually able when we met. During uh, when you guys were up here a couple months ago, I actually talked to her about the different stores that she had been to during her day of thrifting in the city. And like, I've been to a lot of them. Like, I used to, I haven't been in a minute, but like a lot of the downtown ones, like she went to the thrift store that has a great selection of NFL jerseys, which I don't let myself go into anymore. That's where I bought you the Sanchez jersey. Yeah. So, right. And it is, I'm glad you were in there. It's like mostly for kids and like NYU students. But every time I walk by and I see, you know, like a like a London Fletcher jersey in the window, there's a part of me that's oh. kind of like, yeah, you should go in there and uh, buy that and then wear it. Ooh, that was a good guy remembering. I like but I, I don't do it. Uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to um, let the kids have their fun. But yeah, I don't know what the the Padres' issue is. Like, I feel like there's a chance that they somehow miss the playoffs this year with all that talent. Like, just because of the Tatis thing, and also because they've got a lot of the the personalities that Preller added at a discount are kind of turds, you know? That right. Like, but, you know, it, it's weird. It's baseball. It kind of doesn't matter if they like each other or not. I think, you know, there's a whole long history of teams that win a lot of games and everybody hates each other. But it doesn't seem like they've quite sorted that out yet. Well, then, is it possible that if they blow a playoff spot the way they did a year ago, despite spending all this money and making, you know, this incredible push 
to get to the playoffs, is it possible that ownership will say, you know what, we're not doing this anymore. This is a waste of our money and a waste of our time. Let's go back to being the same shitty Padres we've always been since 1984. Like, I mean, if I were a Padres fan, I would be afraid of that. I just feel like at this point they've committed so much money to the stars that they've committed to that like it would be really hard. It would be unwise. I think it would be difficult to trade Machado or Tatis and get value back. And I don't think they would really want to. I think that there's, it's clear that there's a foundation there that could potentially be, you know, the load bearing base of a championship team. They're not even really paying Juan Soto that much for the next two years, given how good he's going to be. It wouldn't surprise me if they keep Soto for two years and then trade him before free agency. Okay. Um, which is, you know, a very, like, I think a lot of teams would do that, especially because I don't think that he's going to sign an extension just given that he's a Scott Boris client and that there's a lot of money out there to be made as a free agent if you're as good as him. Yeah, I mean, were, he's already being talked up as the first half-billion-dollar player. And right, I and I think he will be. Yes, I think, yeah, and I think he should be. Like, I mean, I wouldn't, I can't come up with that many players I'd be happier to invest that amount of money in. The thing with them, I think, is that there's... A point where you have to, and they've done this now, where you have to sort of commit to the course that you're on. Like, and maybe these last series of like tweaky moves that they've made, they're serious about, but the other guys that they added at the deadline, Brandon Drury and, you know, good players, but they're minimal commitments. They're not going to be there. You know, Drury is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. All of that, you could theoretically like move off of a lot of the moves that you've made and keep that foundation there. I think the idea for me would be to like get serious about it and commit to it and, you know, stay on this type of course. They're not like where the Tigers are, where they like made all the moves. They thought they were one step away. They made a couple of signings and then everybody stunk. Yeah, they just suck. Right. Which is, and that's the worst, worst place you can be. In this case, it's just that like they're kind of still in this like phantom zone. And I don't know exactly why. And I don't know that they know exactly why, but. It, it's clear that like you kind of have to roll the dice with this. You already went to the trouble of getting all this talent on one roster. You might as well figure out how to make it good. To me, that Phantom Zone uh, begins uh, the second you go one mile south of Greater Los Angeles. If you are a cool player in baseball, and you 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 cross that boundary, forget it. You're fucked. Yep. You're screwed. Or yes, right. Could be south and west. Could be significantly south. Yep. The Angels are Artie Marino is apparently trying to sell that team. Oh, really? Yeah, which is interesting because it's like, I think of the Angels fans that I know, um, really that's the only thing they want. I think it's the only thing that they really think is going to make a difference for the team going forward because like they've, you know, it's not like they're afraid to spend or afraid to try. They just suck at it. Like because Marino's got his thumb on the scale all the time and he's got his own weird preferences and stuff. If like, I mean... I'd hate to see them trade away their good players to facilitate a sale, which appears to be the move now. But, like, yeah, you're absolutely right that, like, there's no way, unless, like, you get, like, a, you know, a different approach and a different owner. Like, yeah, you're just sort of in, like, a really nice version of purgatory. Like, there's, like, fantastic tacos, great weather. But, like, yeah, nothing good happens. It's amazing. Every year... Uh, across all the sports leagues, there is a a significant uh, percentage of fans whose really only desire is that whoever's owning the team that they root for sell it. Like, you know, I mean, I live in ground zero for that here in Washington. Yeah. So. And it's like, I, and it's such a weird, of all the ways to like be a fan. I mean, I was this way with the Mets for a long time and they did actually get sold and things did get better. But it's a very difficult thing to get past because you can kind of talk yourself into anything as a fan in terms of, or at least like find some way to enjoy the experience of watching a bad team. You know, like you just sort of negotiate with yourself until something comes up. The one thing that you can't fix is the asshole that owns the shit. And so like, I don't know why I have always been like, I fixate on that, but I I do. Like, I don't think the giants will get better under the ownership that they have because they're so far up their ass. And now that family will never sell that team. (laughs) But it's just like sort of, you know, like at some point you realize that worrying about the rest of it is like rearranging the deck chairs, you know? Uh, speaking of uh, franchises that need to be sold, uh, the Cleveland Browns, while we were apart, uh, Deshaun Watson uh, got his uh, suspension extended to 11 games. 
which essentially nullifies his 2022 season. I don't think the Browns give a shit. I know the Browns don't give a shit. Watson doesn't give a shit. They all believe that was enough. And I think the NFL is happy to have all parties involved, except for Watson's victims believe that the matter is settled. Right. And my question to you is we've had Diana Moskovitz cover this um, across the NFL, not just in the Watson case, but in other ones where um, she believes, as I do, that the answer is not, um, you know, and this is true, and she wrote it about domestic violence uh, victims in general, that um, that punitive measures cannot be the only solution and are often a flawed solution to them. So I wanted to ask you, and obviously we're two guys, so there is, there is a blind spot that we're going to have when we talk about this, but is there anything in the case of Watson that you think would have constituted proper justice, or are people like me searching for some kind of magical set of perfect consequences for the man to endure? What... You know what would have been correct? Is this correct? What what is there? I mean, short of him going to jail and actually having to face charges, which he didn't do, what what can be done? Yeah, it's hard to know, right? I mean, because it's I feel like this feels bad, like it always does. Every bit of NFL and a point that Diana has made that I think is like really important and really like stuck in my mind on this is that because of the way that the NFL does discipline. And because it's always in this kind of like turning the meter that says, you know, fascism and looking back at the audience for approval sort of thing, that there is, they're never, it's not pegged to anything but what they think people are willing to accept. And the only, there's not like a a series of standards, there's just these weird station to station precedents that they're kind of jumping from one to the other. And in this case, you know, this is a, decently unprecedented series of offenses on Watson's part, like just in terms of the the volume of it. So of course they don't necessarily know. It's not like in the, you know, the guide to the league or in the rule book that it's like, you know, if you commit 12 instances of sexual assault, you get this. If you commit 24, you get this. Right. Like that said, I think part of what feels wrong about it is not just that the the league is kind of guessing in this cynical way which is like guaranteed to be unsatisfying just because of the fact that it it's not about justice it's about making people calm down right there's an urge to quantify what is sort of inherently unquantifiable right exactly and i think the but the challenge with it is and this was like i think the part of your question that i have a harder time answering is like you know what would an appropriate punishment be and who would be punished through it i mean i think it should be the team and the player i think that they're you know that restitution yeah or something like that is the that that's like the answer yes the browns were it was it was watson himself who was fined five million dollars and not the browns yeah. that's correct right right and the browns designed that contract basically to get him out of having to like it was designed yeah, that's with the nasty suspension part. in that's mind. some that's some truly evil shit it is. And I think that that's part of, again, because you have to consider like what NFL owners are like, I think that's the part that offended them most. Yeah. I know. I, that like that, that was the, they were like, you're trying to fucking hustle us. Like, and that's what they won't stand for. And oddly, like, not, like, oddly enough, I, I, I think that the extension of the suspension actually does the Browns and Watson a favor because mm-hmm. um, he was originally suspended for six games. Had he done that, you know, we would have been, we would not have been that far removed from the offense itself, right? From the scandal itself. Putting it just another month or two away, that is enough to reduce it in the memories of at least some people, particularly right. the people who are, um, you know, who are obligated to maintain their access to the NFL. So, you know, you're going to get Deshaun Watson coming back in the field and you're going to get CBS announcing crews really kind of downplaying it if they mention it at all, or they'll just say, they'll, you know, they'll do the standard. Right, you his know, off-field issues. Yeah, are behind yeah, yeah. Him They'll do all shit. that bullshit, and it won't, you know, won't make any difference. And also, Watson will be entering into, you know, a, a final month of the season that won't matter at all for the Browns. It's not going to matter. Right. Goddamn, they'll be, they'll be shitty. They'll be fucking terrible. And so, you know, he'll he'll be playing out the string in the final, you know, in the final five games, or I'm sorry, the final uh, six games. <laughs> I'm still not quite used to that. Yeah, I I don't like it either. So man. then, still... by the, but so by the time next year's training camp rolls around, you know everyone who will have wanted to move on from it, and that's the powers that be, will you know have had a you know a much longer sort of gangplank to make that happen, which is my yeah. concern. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing where some of that is, I think that's totally right. And I think some of it is just the way that this stuff works. And some of it probably is by design to the extent that you can, you know, extend that uh, credit to Roger Goodell and his team, where I just think of as being a bunch of like 85 IQ guys. They are. Um, And, but yeah, I mean, I think that that, the idea of like sort of letting this cool down and then starting it back up was very clearly what the Browns wanted. I think it was probably what the Texans wanted before that became untenable. Oh yeah. And in this case, you know, I, maybe it'll work. It's not going to feel great. None of it does. I mean, this was the thing I think you got at this in the wire team sucks bit about them. I think Ray got at it in what I thought was a fantastic column about Watson that all of this is just beyond being a bummer that this is, all so shot through with kind of just bad faith and cynicism at every level that it's just the more you think about it, the worse you're going to feel. And I think everybody, I mean, naturally the league and the fans would want to move on from that because the rest of it is just, you're looking at not just like how the sausage is being made, but like you're just watching a turd go down the toilet forever. Like it sucks. I do. Uh, I do. I'll wrap this up on like a, a morbidly humorous note. Cause I can't get over Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, his comments after the suspension was extended. When he finally, I was like, I was waiting for someone to essentially play the cancel culture card. And of course he did. He said, I think in this country, people deserve second chances. Mm. Is he never supposed to play again? Is he no longer supposed to be part of society? That's what we're going to do. We gave Kareem Hunt a second chance, and that worked out pretty well. I <laughs> Let us remind you died. that he's not the only sex creep on this roster. Yeah, we have a guy who punches women, too, who wants to be traded, who doesn't even want to play for us anymore. It worked out sterling. It's just fantastic. That's the bummer with the Browns. I feel like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of fans in kind of a passive way think it would be neat if the Browns were good. Because they've been so bad for so long. Yeah, they were my second favorite team growing up. And they they fucking scuttled that. They somehow found a way to ruin that. Yeah. And it's incredible achievement. And not only that, they did it like... By making a move that would, uh, you know, objectively make them better for the first time, yeah. like, in their new existence, like, the first time they actually make a move that will make them a significant, legitimate, long-time franchise, it's doing, like, the most evil goddamn shit. I'm Just making. absolutely poisoning the well. Well you done, You simply bro. have to tip your cap. Yeah. Nobody does it like the Haslam's. You have to respect it. Hey, it's time to remember a guy. or remember a guy, David Roth. More than anything. I was going to pick a baseball guy, but I was lazy, and I stuck on the... I was stuck on remembering fantasy football guys after after uh, Andy Barons and I last week ran through the just amazing treasure trove of guys that played running back for the Houston Texans. Uh, I've, I wanted to remember a guy who played running back for the Chiefs, and that was Jamal Charles. Remember that guy? He was fucking good. He was really good. He was basically, that's like borderline dude territory. I think he didn't, he had a, a very high peak that wasn't very long, which is kind of the classic... Right. He uh, took over from NFL Priest Holmes, and he, he did Priest Holmes shit for a good two to three years, and he was fucking yeah. awesome, and then fell. Priest Holmes also ruled. That was a guy I absolutely, like, beyond enjoyed having on uh, my fantasy teams at various times. Like, just a cool guy. Yeah, such a fun player. He was great. It was, but Charles was great. I mean, he was more of a, like, normal, shifty halfback type than Holmes was, I think. Yeah, he, 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 did, he caught the ball a lot. Larry Johnson, who was in that mix somewhere— he was a fantasy stud for a while before he went off the reservation, but he was more of a pure runner. Charles and Holmes, I think of as guys who could catch a flare pass and then uh, take it to the house like from 90 yards away. Those, yeah. were, those are fun, fun running backs in Iowa. This like is them. a great time of year. It's, I haven't listened to the Barons cast yet, although I was very sorry to miss it. He's one of my favorite guests always. Uh, I have a fantasy draft on Friday, and I'm in this stage of it where I'm like finding out what team Raheem Mostert is on. Like, where I'm still kind of, like, getting used to whatever the new shitty backfield by committee situations are across the league. Yes. It's a tradition unlike any other. Uh, it is it's also weird to be, like, reminded that I don't necessarily know the starting running back or number one receiving option for, like, half the teams in the league. Neither do they. And I follow That's it pretty closely. It's just they, they move, and also half the teams in the league don't matter at all. Right, and they're running backs, too. They get hurt every five weeks. It's just not. Yeah. There's, there's going to be turnover. Let's open up the fun bag. This is from Dean. Dean has an, a question that actually sort of stopped me in my tracks. Is he's like, is crying over chopped onions an old man thing? I've never cried over chopped onions until today. Stumbling into my late 30s now, I'm dealing with all the usual becoming an old man garbage. But onions? 
Never expected my old friends to turn on me. Roth, did you not cry chopping onions until you were much older? No, I've I remember doing it as a kid. I think it's isn't it have something to do with like how old the onion is or isn't? Yeah, I, I think it depends entirely on the onion because when I chop onions now, and this has been true all my life. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it triggers tears, not because I'm sad, but and then but sometimes it it doesn't trigger a reaction. Yeah. And I always assume that's just dependent on the onion. I don't think that it's my fault or like yeah, the, like the, the fault uh, of that my is physiology. Very, that's a very like middle aging sort of mentality question to ask, though. Like, with all due respect to Dean, but the idea of like. The first time that happens to you, you're like, I'm losing a step. Like, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> like, which, you think you just got unlucky, man. Like, you got a red onion that was real juicy, and this is what's happening to you. Yeah, I mean, like, my son, he's 10. He's insane for cooking now. Like, I think he might want to be a chef. And he was making oh, his cool. own dim sum the other day, and he was chopping the onion. And he was like, oh, my God, this is making me cry. Or this is making, you know, what, yeah, he's like, oh, making me cry. And I was like, Yeah. Yeah, Dean, see, my 10-year-old cries at onions. It makes that anybody is, cry chopping. I them. think it's cool that your son is making dim sum at the age of 10. That's sick. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. very impressed by that. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's right. He's going to go to Harvard one day. So He's going to go to the Harvard Culinary Yeah, Institute. that's right. He's very advanced, my son. Just so advanced. Just makes other children You know, he's actually shit. getting letters from Johnson and Wales. That's they want right. <laughs> That's right. Ryan writes in, what temperature... Do you set the AC to in your house? In your house, I recently heard someone who might think it's cold in hell say they have it set to seventy-eight during the day and eighty-two in the evening. That sounds like Taylor Ooh. to me. Ours is set to set to seventy-two during the day, and we run a separate window AC unit at night in our bedroom to cool the bedroom down to sixty-five. I think if it was eighty in the house, I'd have to wash my sheets daily. Roth, what do you set the AC in your house to? So we have a kind of a weird old setup. It's like there is central air in the building but it's all very old the building is old and the stuff is kind of rattle trap Ooh, it's so pre-war it is it is not it is post-war and if you saw oh. my building I, I don't want this to sound like i'm bragging it is ugly as fuck it looks like <laughs> they didn't finish building it like it needs just gross white brick uh glaring out like on a block with some other pretty buildings on it that was my that, said, that was my apartment building in manhattan mine was gross white bricked well because we lived in the same neighborhood there's a bunch of buildings like this up here that like some developer was just leaving these little turd piles on <laughs> blocks all up across the upper east side in yorkville i feel like that's endemic For, to new york city where like every apartment building either looks just old and shabby and shitty or it was a new build that looks like some dickhead with no taste designed it. Right, and, yeah. And, so and it, it either blocks looks, out views it, of everything. Yes. So you get either buildings that look like a cyber truck yes! standing up that's on right. his butt. That's right. Or, yeah, or you get my building, which is just a shit pile. Um, but, you know, but nice. Uh, in this case, so I don't actually know what the temperature is. Uh, we try to keep it cool in the bedroom. In, in our case, that means you have to run the wall unit, like the sort of baseboard thing all the time at low. Ooh. And it takes the entire summer to basically cool itself down that, because it's pretty janky. That sounds like New York. But we were we just got back from the shore and that was a more of a having to set the thermostat thing. And it's a perennial issue. So my dad likes it cold as hell. And, you know, my wife, among other people, is just one of those people that's always kind of like the baseline is I'm going to go put a sweatshirt on. And so in this case, my dad setting the temperature to just like 67 and being like, why is it not cold enough? <laughs> and then everybody else, like people brought, like brought slippers down there. Like we were inside. It was 80 degrees every day. But like the second that you're inside, you're basically, it's like March. <laughs> so I, have, I think if I were to set the temperature, I would want it to be like 72 and I'd like it to be that way all the time. I think our, in our house, it's, it's at 74, which is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't usually my my wife and I dispute about the temperature of the car. It was like an old Lexus ad. We, we don't drive a Lexus, but like like where you know because you have the climate system that like a like has you control. You know the driver has one control and the passenger has. Oh the other. yeah, yeah. So yeah. mine will be at like sixty six, and hers will be at like seventy seven, and I'll be like, "What the fuck are you doing over there?" And like I have to jack mine down just to like cancel out all the heat. Yeah, and she's like she'll and open also, a window, and I'll be like, "Motherfucker." I'm working hard. I'm trying to make it 66 degrees yeah. only in my part of the car. Yeah, that was my, I had to drive my parents' car a little bit when I was at the shore and I was start, like both of their uh, 
settings on that were 60, which I think is the lowest that it can go. Well done. Well so done. it was like every time you turn the car on, there were two things that would happen. For one thing, there's some glitch in my dad's car that makes the seat back just lean all the way back to a totally reclining position every time you start it. So you have to put it back up if you're driving. And then also you're hit with this blast of fucking Arctic air, like the CGI wind from the day after tomorrow or whatever. It's just really uh, jarring to have all of those experiences happening at once. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I agree with you with that. I also realized, and this happened while I was on vacation at a beach house, I'm such a spoiled little piss baby that in the summer I definitely require a ceiling fan, particularly in the bedroom. So yeah. if I'm not... If I'm in a bedroom that doesn't have one, I'm like, well, there's no ceiling fan here. How am I supposed to sleep? So the air is just going to sit there. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Great. Like, I, yeah, need, no. I need the Apocalypse Now ceiling fan hovering above me at <laughs> all hours. Otherwise, I'm just un- Otherwise, I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, you go it's, crazy and it's start like doing I'm, karate in the mirror yeah, like Martin Sheen. It's like I'm in the tough. Sahara here. My God. Holy shit. <laughs> all I have is central air to comfort me. That's not nearly Nothing. Going upriver to visit Kirk Cousins. That's how it begins, man. You don't want that. Uh, Alexa writes in, would you rather Hollywood only remake movies you like, so you can enjoy them again with a different uh, technique, or only movies you don't like so you can laugh at their failure or possibly enjoy the new angle? I have a theory about this, but Roth, I want you to... uh, That's an interesting question. Uh, I really like it when studios make a movie that is inexplicable. Like, where they just will make something, they know that it's bad. Morbius was apparently like this. Where it's kind of, like, clearly not a thing that many people are interested in, and then they also fuck it up. <laughs> like, knowing how many hands, you know, because I'm a, I'm a pretty dedicated Drew McGarry reader. So knowing how much money and how many hands and how many subcontractors are involved in, like, just making all of these shitty effects in a thing, and then they just put it out, and they're like, well, here's Morbius, sorry. Like, that... Anytime a mistake happens in a process that's that optimized, I think it's kind of delightful. My my opinion is that uh, Hollywood should only remake movies that failed. That's it. Because when you remake a movie that was good, like you remake Casablanca, well, I'm already pissed, right? And it's right. not going to be as good as the original. It'll make money, but I'll still be annoyed. Whereas if you remake a movie that sucked... Like if you remake, ah, what's what's a what's a good shitty movie? To, like if you remake Ishtar, right? I was thinking of Ishtar too. Ishtar has its defenders, but the idea of yeah, like just taking another crack at it, like punching it up and trying a little harder. Sure, yeah, because for it. you can only you can only do what you can only fail in the most predictable way. But if you improve upon it, then you've actually you've actually done justice to a concept that uh, that was poorly executed prior. So I'd. I would much rather that Hollywood look at sort of its old bad ideas and be like, you know what? If we try that again, maybe we can make that work somehow. Yeah. Rather than trying to just remake the fucking Lion King 900 times. Right. I think with also, even if it's impossible to make a good movie out of the concept of Ishtar, I think that it would be interesting to see like every generation fucking it up in the way that that generation would. So in this case, it would be just like, Miles Teller going, so that happened or something, you know, but like some like cheesy soy like assembly line version of it that came out now, I think would be like that's as much a representation of how movies are bad now as like the sort of broken auteurist vision of the original. Yeah, I, I but I, I think it can be done. In fact, I know it's been done because, you know, before uh before Christopher Nolan came along, before Tim Burton came along, you know, Batman, you know, the Adam West Batman was charming, you know, in its sort of kitschy way, but it wasn't good, you know? No. Like, like it was, it was, it was good for like its time and stuff like that, but like it was clear that there was an idea that could be improved upon. So I had, I have no idea. I, I mean, I have no problem with Hollywood saying, you know what, let's take another crack at this one, see if we can redeem ourselves, just go around. That yeah, people get upset about that. I know that that was, like, the big issue that Weenies had with, like, the Ryan Johnson Star Wars movies, was that, like, the idea there was clearly just to let filmmakers kind of play around in that sandbox, and then when they did it, like, the sort of gatekeepy nerd types were like, no, not like that. Well, yeah, and that movie has aged quite well. I, I thought, I saw when I saw it at home, I liked it much more than I saw it when I saw it. Yeah, I liked it when I saw it in the theaters. And, like, I don't, I guess because I'm not as, like, invested in the idea of, like, the canon and everything needs to be consistent or whatever. There is, you know, you can't win with that. But I think that, you know, taking a new 
like sort of approach to something is like that's obviously a good idea. I would love to see more original ideas, but if we're gonna keep just like fucking the same chickens forever, then like it would be good to try some sort of different way at it. I don't know that like you liked the um the Batman pretty well, right? I liked it. I will never watch it again. I want okay. I would like Batman to be charming and funny and horny again. See, I, that's how I sort of feel about it. Like there's this sense that it doesn't need to be obviously like you can draw a line from like Adam the Adam West Batman to the Joel Schumacher Batmans and then they like there's a, a it breaks and then you're doing, you know, the Christopher Nolan version of it. But if it's the sort of thing where it just only gets darker and darker forever and like and we're already on the version where like this version of Bruce Wayne has like a fucking serious mood disorder and like walks around in the dark all the time. Right. Like at some point you're going to need to to tweak that. Yeah, you need some charm. You need some one-liners. Like, I remember I was watching, when I was on vacation, I watched Casino Royale with my kids. I say I had not seen it before. I had seen it before. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it again, and I was like, God, this movie is impeccably written. Like, it's really well written. But not only yeah. that, it was set up as an origin story. And I know that itself is a tiresome trope, but it was set up specifically to explain why Bond becomes a charming womanizer after the fact. But then, for the rest of the Craig Bond movies, they didn't do that. I know. And they could they have. They kept the... He's they a, kept the depression, and all the rest of it was just kind of chucked out the window. Right. It sucks. So, like, if they if they have a new Bond, and it's uh, Idris Elba or somebody like that, it's okay with me if he's a total, like, just a just a Lothario bastard who says, like, shitty one-liners once in a while, and then and then has no problem, like, you know, betting 800 women. It doesn't fall in love with any of them. That's fine. Like, go yeah. back. Like, I think the idea, it definitely, like... If you think about it, you know, it makes sense that James Bond would be, like, a depressed guy with a drinking problem. He has to kill a lot of people. I think that's really hard. I don't almost ever have to do that at work. It seems like it would be the sort of thing that would really mess you up. And yet, at the same time, like, don't think about it that hard. Well, yeah, that's the thing, is that that's the sort of thing that is brilliant as subtext. Like, you only need a couple of moments in the film where, like, you see that facade break. Mm-hmm. And then that's like, that's enough to keep you going. Like, okay, I know why this guy acts the way he acts. But when you make that subtext the entire movie, that actually makes the character less interesting than if, if it was kept at arm's length from you. So, yeah. Um, the, I think it's good that they didn't take as the one lesson from that movie's success that every Bond movie in the future had to um, feature like some sort of ball torture scene. It was a good scene, though. It's a really good scene. The is really going to town on those things, though. You feel you really feel for Daniel Craig at that moment. Yeah, they all, they decided that like from all for all the Craig Bond movies after that, what was important was that he ride a motorcycle up a lot of steps. <laughs> like it, it tested through the roof. Yep, we're gonna make the whole movie out of that scene. Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to StitcherPremium.com. Use the promo code Distract, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at. We're uh, approaching our annual re-up. We'd love to have you for the entire year. And also for the entire NFL season. So go there now and subscribe. You can get a good little discount when you sign up for the entire year. And uh, we'd love to have you. Roth, you will not be here next week. We're going to be forced to part again, which is very sad. But then we will be back after that for the entire NFL season. And I will have a special guest next week uh, for fun and shits and giggles. I can't wait to hear the shits and giggles that you do. All right. Goodbye, Roth. See everybody Bye. next week. Bye.